Music to My Ears podcast, brought to you by BBC Music Magazine, the world's best-selling classical music monthly. This week, Reviews editor Michael Beek sits down with the Montenegrin guitarist Milos Karadaglic. Milos talks about commissioning new concertos for his latest album, growing up in Montenegro and his favourite guitars. But he begins by reflecting on life as a musician during the pandemic. Artistically, it's been great, I have to say. That's, that's been good because very rarely... Um, you have all that freedom and that time to actually think about repertoire, think about you know music, and 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 also I was I was just finishing off uh, an album I had in me for many years, and and having the space to actually do it and create exactly what I wanted to create with it was was really really very special and and rare. So there's always two sides of the coin. Like on one hand, it's been it's been difficult, and then on another hand, it's been actually quite quite nice. So, um, but I'm again, I'm the lucky one. I, I just often think of of just think of my colleagues and and orchestral musicians and teachers. Sure. And crazy. Yeah, I was speaking to a pianist a few weeks ago, and um, he said this time has actually given him time to discover music that he wouldn't necessarily have had time to play or, or mm-hmm. discover, or, or maybe even rediscover stuff that he hadn't played for a long time. Yeah. Is that the same for you? Have you have you been have you rediscovered any music that you you haven't played for a long time, or any new discoveries over the last month? Yes, I I have been interestingly I've been listening to a lot of music, as in I've I've just gone through so many recordings uh, that that I never had time to listen to from beginning to the end and um, and not just guitar recordings for some bizarre reason I have uh, been so attracted to orchestral repertoire and that just is uh, um, symbolizes the um, uh, the, the, the subconscious mind knowing that uh, there will be quite a while until we can hear a full symphony on stage um, so so it's been it's been really rewarding in this way and I and and combine that with a lot of walks and the beautiful weather we had actually at the beginning of of, of the of uh, the of the pandemic um, I think that's kind of given me always given me hope and 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 feeling that things will be all right and once we once we go back that musicians will actually sound better than ever because everyone's had time and the audience will be more keen than ever because everyone's so deprived of culture and um so so yeah but in terms of in terms of playing i think in the beginning i kind of was was not playing for a couple of weeks because I would wanted to rest after this tour. And then, and then I thought whenever I would get myself in the panic, oh my God, I haven't practiced. I would think like, no, it's okay. Now is the time. If ever it's now. So like, just, just, just let it go. And, um, but then there's been a lot of things I wanted to do, like the technical things and, uh, like to just, you know, take the cobwebs out and, and all the, all the little little fiddly bits that um, are in all of us musicians that need attention. So, um, so no, it's been good. It's been really good. Um, and and in the autumn, it kind of felt like that's it, uh, and then it wasn't. So that part was hard. I found actually um, November, December, January, really hard. And, and in that period, I went to Montenegro because in Montenegro, it's, I was not in a city. I was on the coast and, 
and um, being being near the sea for me always have very significant importance and and I just whenever I need to find myself I love to go near the sea because there's just something wonderful about that and 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 sort of nature and sort of your your surroundings growing up very much inform the music on this this new album doesn't it yes in terms of the two new concertos tell me a little bit about these two new concertos i was just listening and they're quite different aren't they they're both new but they're both very very different the approach that the two composers have taken both great storytelling musicians in their own right but they've come at these two concertos from completely different angles haven't they yeah they have and and bizarrely they still work in this wonderful uh, unison because they are so different and their approach came from two very different places. Their musical language has two very different um, ways about it. But then at the same time, the conclusion of the works is kind of similar because they all dig into our very natural connection with the world and the nature and and the world inside and the world outside. Originally, there wasn't a plan that these two concertos will be on on the recording together. But after I premiered both of them, I just felt how amazing it would be if they were, because I thought it would be the first time that I'm releasing an album where actually everything is brand new, including the two little pieces, because they were brand new arrangements. And second, it would be amazing to come out with two albums that have concertos of two really wonderful composers. Um, And as different as they are, they represent different ways that composers can take with the concerto repertoire of the guitar. Howard is very classical and very very elegantly classical. Um, And Joby is minimalist and relentless and incredibly... um, and he, he told me the other day that actually in, in, in his mind, he was never very programmatic about the piece. And like, I was from the very beginning, very programmatic <clears throat> about this piece, because the moment I heard the opening chords of the, of the concerto, I was completely gone somewhere. And, and there was this incredible feeling of, of, um, being somewhere or, or, um, exploring a, a different magical world. Tell me about the desire to commission new works. I mean, is it is there is it the case of there's just not enough <laughs> guitar concerto repertoire for you to sort of get your teeth into, or you just is it the case of you've played all the greats now? You need you need new material. It's a bit of a mixed answer because mm. um, in terms of guitar concertos, uh, it's not always true that there aren't many. There are quite a few really really good and very nice concertos. Um, that have been written by composers who are predominantly known within the guitar world. And you will often hear these concertos played in guitar festivals or or in festivals when there is focus on guitar or a certain composer. But when it comes to classical mainstream, there really are 
very few concertos that you will hear programmed by a major symphony orchestra or by a major festival. And that always tends to be the Aranjuez. And like, I, I mean, I understand why. Uh, I think that Aranjuez goes shoulder to shoulder with uh, Rack 2, with Brook, with uh, Sibelius, with these most loved concertos. And we are so, so, so lucky to have that piece because without that piece, I think it would be much harder to, as a guitarist, make a mainstream classical career. So um, I, as a student, and when I started my recording career 10 years ago, it was my great, great wish to, when I was ready, uh, go on the road with this concerto and record this concerto. And, and I did that in 2014. And, um, and enjoyed it tremendously. Um, but after each performance with these orchestras and conductors and how lucky he is for a classical guitarist, you know, to one day play with LA Philharmonic and then Philadelphia Orchestra and then London Philharmonic and then in Santa Cecilia and then go to Japan. And it was like really incredible that I was allowed to do that. And every time after there was a conversation like what to do next and and there weren't many options. And like in my mind, there were lots of options because I loved the Villalobos Concerto. I loved the Tedesco, Castelnuovo Tedesco Concerto. Um, and I, I love the Ponce Concerto. There, there, is, there are so many wonderful pieces, but for some reason uh, in, in the minds uh, and in the eyes of programmers and promoters, it, it, it just it doesn't, is not, is not good enough. So, so I thought um, I have to find a way to inspire composers, composers that matter, that are very much present in the classical world um, and, and beyond, um, and make some, some, some really nice, nice pieces for guitar and orchestra. To classic repertoire, can you remember the first classic work that you fell in love with that you, you took yeah. and, and learned to play? What was that? Well, the first work I heard, um, it was when I had no concept of classical guitar at all. Um, and I was eight years old in Montenegro and my family, you know, they, they liked music, but the classical music wasn't part of our family because I don't think it was part of anyone's family in Montenegro. Um, and um, so my idea of music was really what I was seeing on TV or hearing on radio, which was always some sort of popular style. Um, I always say that also my cheek explorations of the popular style uh, with the previous two albums particularly come maybe subconsciously to that very, very beginning of how I imagined what music was. Um, but uh, but at that time, uh, going into a, a classical music school and learning to to play guitar as a pure accident, not not nothing planned or or any, anything like that, um, I needed to be inspired because I was about to quit. I didn't like the idea of uh, learning music or learning scales, growing nails, doing all those things that guitarists have to do. 
Um, and the first piece that I heard was Albanese's Asturias, played by Segovia. Uh, and my father had it on an LP. Um, and uh, it was quite interesting and very symbolic that <clears throat> my father, who um, in his collection of the 60s and 70s and 80s LPs um, of, you know, Bee Gees and Beatles and um, Simon Garfunkel, all these uh, uh, incredible, you know, classic pop and uh, rock artists, he had an actual recording, an actual recital put on an LP of Andres Segovia. It just tells you what, uh, how important of a name Segovia was um, at that time and how much he definitely was in everyone's mind as part of, a, of music, as a one whole thing. Um, so um, he he played me that, and for me that was when I really heard what classical guitar can sound like and be like, um, and that inspired me so much. Um, and I just felt like that's what I'm going to work towards, and I want to be able to play like that. I think of first pieces that I've played, I think the first concert piece I had was a Spanish romance. Um, and and it just, you know, the usual. But I was a really fast learner and I and I just 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 like for some reason my fingers were very comfortable on the strings. And actually it was more than a year after I started playing that they discovered that I was actually learning the pieces by just hearing the teacher play them, not actually by being able to read music. I see. And then, yeah. and then everyone um, was in shock and horror trying to teach me to learn, <laughs> to, 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 to read music. Yeah. Uh, and, and I remember even my father at that time, he, in the evenings when he would come back from work, um, he would learn the notes himself on the guitar because it's not so simple on the guitar. It's not like on the piano. It's like you have to actually know where they are. Uh, and then we would learn a couple every night. It was it was quite. It's it's one of those childhood memories that I think will stay with me forever. Mm, that's lovely. I mean, I I learned the guitar for a couple of years at school. And I just remember the pain in my fingers <laughs> when I was sort of nine years old. I just, Before yeah, you it, develop the calluses. Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. So I turned to the piano. It was slightly less painful. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, um, have you still got your first guitar? Or do you still have it? It's somewhere in Montenegro. I don't know. Maybe I, I think I think it could be that that one of my little cousins now bangs on it. Yeah. And, uh, it was not a particularly valuable guitar in any way. I think it was a guitar my father had when he was trying to seduce my mother or something. I don't know. It was a, <laughs> just there, uh, and 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 he he was very proud of a couple of songs he could strum. Yeah, so I don't nice. know. It's, it's, yeah, a, it's a fu funny, different <laughs> era, different time. Yeah, yeah. And how many how many guitars do you own? Do you do you get sort of sent guitars and you have to? <laughs> I don't. I mean, it's it's guitars are very special. You you they are made. There is a sort of alchemy that happens every time an instrument is made. And um, I fell in love with the sound of uh, Australian guitar by Greg Smallman um, first without knowing because. Um, as a teenager in Montenegro, the only CDs I could get hold of were John Williams' CDs. 
And uh, John Williams, to this day, is like one of the people I respect the most. Um, and 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 his career speaks for itself, and his playing speaks for itself. And um, I I just adored more than anyone else uh, the sound that he was making and the, the way he recorded the sound and the way he produced sound and. Um, and then when I came to London, um, I was uh, in, in, in the center of um, knowledge and, and the center of understanding what the artistry of all these idols that I had was all about. Um, and before that, I was just guessing. So a colleague of mine had a Greg Smallman guitar. It was actually Xu Fei Yang. Um, she had one and, and Xu Fei was doing a postgraduate and I was 16, 16 years old and, and she was a great, I was a great admirer of her and, um, and she played in the masterclass with David Russell, who was also a reason why I went to London because he told me that's where I should go when I was 14. Uh, and when I played for him, so like when I came to London, it was like all these things came together. Um, and hearing Xu Fei perform on this guitar, I thought this is just exactly the the, the sound quality I, I really want for myself. And then she told me that actually John Williams um, gave that guitar to her when he came to China many, many years ago. Um, and I thought, yeah, that, 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 can you imagine? Like for me at that point, like to think that that would happen to someone was like the biggest dream come true. Um, so since since then, I had my eyes on on getting a Greg Smallman guitar, and in two thousand and seven, I finally got mine, um, and I never looked back since. Um, I just would never ever play any other instrument, and there are actually really fantastic guitar makers out there. There are some that use very innovative techniques that produce very rich sounds on the guitar, but the power and the and the presence that I feel I can create. Uh, with my fingers on that guitar is is something that really feels like I don't need it any other way. Um, so uh, I now have uh, two guitars uh, by Greg Smallman. The first one was it's still the one that I got a long time ago. And actually, interestingly, it's the one that I still play. Okay. Um, and the second one is the one that he sent me when... Um, he told me that he made the guitar um, and uh, and he thought that I should have the guitar of his uh, because it was like in his mind, it was like his best guitar. Wow. Um, so when I got it, I just was incredibly excited and I played, I played every day, but for some reason, there is so much that goes into an instrument and everything that I went through with my first guitar created this different sound and, and I'm still not ready to, to, to let it go. So, um, so, so for now, I, I, I'm still playing my first moment and, and I don't know, it's a strange, strange thing uh, with, with instruments. It's, it's so personal. Yes, must be attached to it quite emotionally as well. It's sort of a hundred percent. If someone would tell me now, okay, now we take away old guitar and now you play this amazing new guitar, I would, I would, I would probably be in in. Uh, I would probably mourn the loss mm. of something like it's so it's, it's so difficult to to just 
detach yourself from it because so many memories and 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 good times and bad times and it's just it's it's just create it's part of your body now you mentioned your your time in london there uh, i was going to ask about that because you had obviously formative years you know in the 90s then back in montenegro but then you moved to london at quite a young age and then you've got this decade before your sort of big debut in the album tell me about those 10 years and studying and like you say you were immersed in this sort of world of of, of music making um, what was that like there must have been a complete a shift in your perception of what was possible Absolutely, and incredible focus and incredible determination, um, and also incredible joy in music making and being able to express musically what I had inside me. Because in London, I was learning the tools to do that. In Montenegro, I was I had very supportive teachers and a very supportive environment, but I wasn't necessarily thought um, how to express it like it was it was all very instinctive there were there were things i was when i came to london that i needed to correct because i wasn't doing them doing them correctly definitely but um but at the same time this joy of music making in those as you say formative years even though i think my four formative years were in london um, um th- that, that feeling that when you play for someone, like for an audience, that when you are given that opportunity to, to, to share your music with people in front of you, especially in, in Montenegro in the 90s, um, you, you, it's, it's something more than playing perfectly. It's like, it's, it's about your world that is beautiful no matter what happens around and all those people in front of you getting inside that world and what the privilege that was without any pressure. I never felt any pressure at that time whenever I performed because I felt that performing was just a way of talking to people and sharing in with people. So even though when I came to London, there was a lot to learn, I realized that um, my biggest advantage um, compared to young musicians that were exceptionally talented and who had very specialized education with the best teachers of the world from the time that they were, you know, nine years old. I never, ever, ever compared myself to anyone. And it was like a very, very instinctive way for me. Um, I just wanted to play and I wanted to have a good time. And I want, I was there now to learn how to do it exactly. Um, so, and I was never shy. Um, I, I never, if someone asked me, how did the concert go? I would always say it went amazingly because for me, every concert, every opportunity to perform felt amazing. Um, and, and a lot of my colleagues, when I would ask them, how did it go? They would say, oh, it was terrible. And I made so many mistakes and, uh, and this and that. And then after me played this person and they were so much better and, and I just thought that was incredibly negative. So now when I, when I, when I teach occasionally or give masterclasses, that's one of the, one of the f- main things I focus on because I think w- we sometimes can put so much pressure on ourselves and, and out of this incredible tradition and incredible way, ways that, that 
if you're born in Britain or in America or in Germany, you are from a very young age exposed to to such a high level yeah. uh, that actually it can start to work against you because it can cut your wings off from from yes. being able to fly into this incredible world of music making, which actually everyone deserves to be part of. So London was was incredible in this way because because I think my frame of mind was formed in Montenegro and and I was there to 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 learn and to immerse myself to go to concerts to push myself harder and harder and to practice for hours and hours and and when I think of those years um it was just just like another life because there was somehow no distraction um, and and now I ask myself, if I was a student now, would I be able to create that sort of focus given all the social media, all the over-communication, all the uh, noise in the world that we are surrounded with? I don't know how young musicians do it today if their priority is to get 100,000 followers on Instagram. Yeah. Um, and how good is that in creating exceptional music and exceptional interpretations? I think it must be really, really hard. Yes, it's a distraction, isn't it? Big mm. time. Um, you talk about concerts there. Tell me about some of the concert experiences you had. I mean, when, can you remember the first time you, you actually got to see John Williams play? Yeah, it was at the Academy. Um, and oh. he came to give a masterclass. Mm. Uh, and the, the very first time I I I, I he came to 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 do the masterclass. I prepared something and we played something for him, and and I was really starstruck because for me he was like a god, and I and I it was just like a blur. I don't really. <laughs> <laughs> and the, and then I went to his concerts, of course, in London, and seeing him perform and and seeing this incredible presence and precision and quality that that is really second to none. Um, what I was astonished by was that in, in one of the um, uh, final high-profile pro, high concerts he's given in London, because he retired now, I think even 10 years ago, it was incredible that um, even later in life, he was able to preserve the same sort of thing and to actually look so young and to sound so young. But then, you know, in London, it was about that, but it was even more so about going to the opera and hearing how the, the most perfect instrument in the world sounds and how you can apply everything you hear from a human voice to what you are playing. Because for me, if my string doesn't become a voice, I haven't done a good job. If... Uh, uh, I, I, as a musician, always focus on the fact that if I'm playing something and if something goes wrong, you know, like if if, if uh, there is a, a note that is not as audible as I wanted it to be, uh, or if I make a technical mistake or a little, little flaw, I think that's so incredibly human and that's not something that that is a big deal. 
unless it breaks a line somewhere. And, and, and for me, if I make a lot, if I make mistakes within reason, and there are probably the mistakes only I can hear, but anyway, it's like, um, when I do that, I'm not upset. But if, if there is a, there is a text somewhere in the texture and guitar has so many different layers when you play, if somewhere within that texture, the line is broken and it doesn't sound like a human voice, it doesn't phrase like a human voice would phrase it, then I have failed. And then I feel very, very upset. So I learned that really from being so immersed in the world of singing and opera. And I was sing, I sang a lot when I was a child and I, I really love singing as well. Um, so that was amazing. And then, you know, going to the South Bank Center, to the Barbican, to watch, you know, Anna Sophie Mutter play, play Beethoven violin concerto, or to see a recital of Bach partitas at the Wigmore Hall, or, you know, you have to understand that where I'm from at that time, there was none of that. And, and there wasn't even printed music was a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy. Every recording was a copy of a copy of a copy. Like there was not, no, we, we were changing strings from one guitar to another just for a concert because that string was maybe better from this guitar. And then, so, so imagine like when you're suddenly in the world as in your wildest dreams, like, I think that's what gave me the, 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 the energy to really go for it and to, to not, uh, uh, accept those preconceived ideas of what a career of a classical guitarist should be like. And that was thrown at me from the very beginning. And I, and I just thought it was ridiculous because I just thought, why not? Exactly. Why not? Yeah, indeed. Lovely stuff. And obviously since then you've become obviously very successful, very busy. I can't imagine, do you find any time to go to concerts now? I mean, there can't be much time ordinarily. I mean, do you miss being able to just pop along and see a concert or not for I think somehow there is some, there is time because if I go to a city, um, I'm very lucky that it's usually really great cities. So, um, I always check, check out what's going on. Um, and also what is wonderful is that if I'm playing a concerto with a really great orchestra, um, I'm one of those people that will always go into the second half of the concert and listen to the symphony. And this way, and this way I have heard some incredible things. Um, when I'm in London, um, that's like a, a, a no-brainer. It's even even if I'm really tired and I need to rest. If there is a good concert on, I will go and <laughs> and I will I will maybe run home because I have to do more work. But <laughs> but but to to listen to to listen to something, it, it gives you so much back. Um, and and when you are a guitarist, it even gives you even more back uh, because we have to think. Uh, with our instrument, we have to imagine a sound and an expression that is bigger than our instrument in order to make it resonate in a 2000 seat hall. Um, it's a, the sound on, when you're as a guitar player, the sound you produce doesn't come from the strings and your fingers. It comes from an imagined feeling that you push through your body, through your instrument into the world of in front of you and and the difference that makes in in what comes out is astonishing 
And the only way to learn that is really by listening to everyone else and everything else and, and, and applying it into your own micro world of guitar. I think you're absolutely right. I think it, it works both ways in the sense that you're projecting out, but you're also drawing the audience in because you do have this amazing ability to make a very large space feel very small when you're on the stage. Um, yeah. So I think it's a sort of a magical sort of thing, isn't it? You're sort of able just to... And artists, I think in general, they have different approaches. Like mm. there, there are some artists, I mean, it's it's everyone is true to themselves. And, and I always say that every well-known artist and every celebrated artist is celebrated because they do something, even if it's just one thing, they do it amazingly well. Um, and, and some artists actually, uh, keep their universe intact when they go out on stage and they just do it within their world. And then the audience has to reach them. Um, and, and others, they step out on stage and, and suddenly they open this huge door where like that and their sound embraces every last person in the hall. And, and I think going back to what I said when I was very young and, and learning what music can do, I think I'm the latter. Um, I just enjoy that feeling more than anything else. And the way it affects my performance is also something that I enjoy very much because it makes me every time perform completely differently. Um, and, and, and that's, and that's an addictive feeling. You mentioned um, listening to lots of recordings uh, in recent months. Uh, what's what sort of stood out? What have you? What have you? What can't you get enough of? What have you played again and again? Well, from the new things that came out, I have really enjoyed what um, Wikinger Olafsson has been doing with with Bach and with Rameau and Debussy, and and I, I just think he found an extraordinary way to take something that is. Um, that comes with uh, hundreds and hundreds of years of tradition and make it very sound very fresh and of this time. Yes. And I think, and because I'm also myself personally uh, so uh, excited about recording techniques and, and the way you position microphones and the effect that that creates and, and, and the sound that you, that you, you record with is very important. I really appreciate his, his artistry very, very much. And then I went back to, you know, classic recordings of Vienna Philharmonic. For some reason, it's always Vienna Philharmonic when I, when I like something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why, but, but Vienna Philharmonic and Boulez and the Mahler symphonies. And that's, that's just been so comforting somehow. I don't know. I've just found that those recordings to be perfect for, for, for this time and, and for this space that, that I have. I've been listening to a lot of guitar recordings and mm. I like recently I discovered again after, after many years, Barueco playing Bach. Um, and also Bach is something that I sort of love to uh, play a bit of every day. Um, it, it, it keeps, it keeps the mind somehow fresh. I don't know. It's a very, um, it's, it's incredible what it does. 
And it's incredible also what Mozart does to you. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, there are heavy days and there are, you know, lighter days and, and we yes. all, and I'm a, I'm a Southern European person. So like when, when I'm heavy, I'm really heavy. When I'm light, I'm really light. So like I don't have much, much middle. Um, <laughs> and, and it's interesting how in those heavy moments, if, if, if you listen to Mozart, like to his string quartets or uh, to his piano concertos, um, it's the whole universe changes. It's like mm, it just mm, changes something yes. in your mind and suddenly everything feels good again. Music has such magical powers. It's, it's like, it's like God is speaking to us through music. It's, it's incredible. guitarist Milos Karadaglic on everything from the magic of Mozart, his hero John Williams, his first musical loves and his most recent album The Moon in the Forest which is out now on Decca. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from the team at BBC Music Magazine. Do let us know what you think of the podcast by rating and reviewing it wherever you've been listening. If you want to find out more about BBC Music Magazine, we're available in print and various digital formats across the world. Or you can visit our website, classical-music.com, where you can read about all the latest music happenings, read thousands of reviews and a good deal more. Thank you to ACAST for hosting this podcast and to our producer, Brittany Colley.